0: And believe it or not, we have been doing this for almost a year now. The one-year anniversary for What Should I Read Next is right around the corner, and we've got some fun anniversary episodes in the works. The first of these is going to be a special episode where we'll finally focus on what I should read next. At the end of today's episode, I'll share three books I love, one book I hate, and what I've been reading lately, and you can tell me by email or voice message what you think I should read next. I'm really looking forward to hearing your picks for me. If you've enjoyed the show over the past year, the nicest thing you could do for us is pop over to iTunes and leave a review. I've heard podcasters ask for ratings and reviews for years, but it wasn't until I started podcasting myself that I understood just how much these ratings and especially the reviews matter when it comes to helping new listeners find the show. Please take two minutes and do that at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes. Thank you so much for that. This episode is brought to you by the 2017 Modern Mrs. Darcy Reading Challenge. Reading is personal, and your reading list should reflect that. This year, we're offering our Choose Your Own Adventure Reading Challenge. It's free. It's easy to join. To get started, go to modernmrsdarcy.com challenge and pick the path that's right for you. If your reading life has lost its oomph, reading for fun is right for you, with 12 categories we chose just with you in mind. If you want to stretch yourself in 2017, choose Reading for Growth, which has its own 12 categories. If you want to read everything this year, challenge yourself to tackle both lists. Head over to the site, choose your challenge, and start making your plan. I can't wait to read with you in 2017. Go to modernmrsdarcy.com challenge to get started. Today's guest is Danielle Mayfield. D.L. Mayfield lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband and two small children. You may know her as the author of Assimilate or Go Home, Notes from a Failed Missionary on Rediscovering Faith, a book of essays that was recently released by Harper One. Danielle often writes about heavy-hitting topics like refugees, theology, and downward mobility, but today we are running away from the heavy stuff and are searching for good comfort reads instead. Let's get to it. Danielle, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, it is my pleasure. And I'm so excited to talk to you today because on the interwebs and in print where you do your writing, you tend to write about very serious things and like serious should mm-hmm. get a capital S because of the nature of what you write about, like current events and refugees and big capital C crisis issues for our current world. And today we're going to talk about books and reading, and it's not going to be all serious all the time. And I'm really excited to diving into this part of your reading and writing life. So a lot of people may know you from your book, Assimilate or Go Home. Do you want to give the 60 second summary of that so people know why you're always writing about very serious things and engaging with that on Twitter?
1: (laughs) So um, Assimilate or Go Home notes from a failed missionary on rediscovering faith is basically my journey of meeting um, refugees here in Portland, Oregon, and how living and working in refugee and immigrant communities has completely transformed my life. So that's kind of like the short snippet of it. But um, yeah, meeting refugees, living with them, living life with them, just opened my eyes to a completely different America than um, the one I was born into. I love, so this is a little personal, but one of my favorite things you've written
0: this year wasn't about... Refugees or immigrants or any like big press and contemporary issues, but was about raising your daughter Ramona in Portland, which come to mm-hmm. think of it was totally about. I love the way you work that into contemporary issues, but we'll link to that in show notes because I just love that piece. Was oh. that a do you hear tell us a little bit about it because you'll do better than me. And what I want to know is if that was just totally serendipitous that your daughter was named Ramona and you could talk about Clickitat Street and you know, Ramona Quimby, or if that is a seed that was planted in your head from a ways
1: back. Well, it's interesting because I, part of my story is I grew up always wanting to be a missionary. And I, when I had my daughter, I guess it was like, yeah, six years ago, I knew that I was probably going to be moving away from Portland at some point in my life. And we did, we ended up moving to Minneapolis for three years, which isn't the end of the earth, but It was kind of for us, (laughs) like a whole new country, especially since we lived in um, a part where a lot of East African immigrants lived. But anyways, I knew we would probably be leaving Portland and I wanted my daughter to know where she was born and have this connection to it. And I just love the name Ramona. And I loved those books as a kid. I read them all the time. And secretly, I was really hoping to have kind of a stubborn, strong-willed, fierce, daughter, who would be an excellent advocate for herself. And I just thought Ramona would be a great name to live into. And she totally has. Were there other characters or literature who were contenders in your baby name games? No, here's the other weird thing is um, my husband's family. They do the whole alliteration thing with names. So like everybody in his family has a name that starts with K, so on and so forth. So I actually in my heart of hearts, I had a boy name picked out that I was dead set on. And it started with an R. And therefore, when I got pregnant and I was having a girl, I was like, oh, I have to find a name that starts with R. So that's another reason why she didn't have too many contenders for her name. And the boy name that I love is also kind of a literary name. And I had my son a year and a half ago, and his name is Ransom. And that is partly due to C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. The main character is named Ransom.
0: Only partly, because I can think of none others. But...
1: Well, I just I've heard that name in other places, and I really liked it. And I have to be honest and say I've only read like half of the space trilogy. I found it rather boring. So I'm like, (laughs) isn't it so weird that I'm naming my son after that, even though it's like my least favorite C.S. Lewis work? (laughs) You know, you got to go with
0: the R names, I guess. When you're reading professionally, what kind of books are you typically reading?
1: Yeah, so one of the things I do on the side is I do book reviews for various publications. And I always just end up reading really intense works of nonfiction. A lot of it just comes to me based on the things I've been writing about. But in the past year, especially, I've read books like um, Evicted by Matthew Desmond, City of Thorns about life with refugees. Um, and then I read a lot of kind of intense, heavy Christian nonfiction, a lot of it to do with you know racial reconciliation and all this stuff. So that is a lot of what I have to read for my writing life. But I think this year, my own book came out too. And, and it just kind of really takes a toll on your reading life when you have to do all these other things that are sort of around writing. Um, So this has not been a great year for me as far as how many books I've read. And ones that I can look back on and say, wow, I really enjoyed that I learned a lot. But it wasn't, I didn't have a lot of time for enjoyable reading, I guess.
0: Okay, so we're right around New Year's. In the year ahead, what do you want to be different about your reading life than it has been the past six months?
1: You know, I listen to your podcast. A lot of people say this. I want to create more time to read and be very consistent about that. But I wonder if that means I have to make some choices as far as mixing it up genre wise, Mm -hmm. um, because maybe I'm not feeling very inspired to read because everything I read makes me feel very overwhelmed. And like, I have to go journal about it and underline. I'm like, maybe I should read some books where I'm not underlining. <laughs> where I'm just like clipping along. And I kind of have a little bit of a hard time with fiction because I like to know what I'm getting into. And especially like literary fiction, I, I never know what's going to happen. It seems very wandering and just a lot of bad things happen to people. And, and so I haven't read a ton of fiction because if I read it, I want to know it's happy. I guess, um, and there's not a lot of good happy fiction out there, but I kind of want to find more of that.
0: Good happy fiction that's not total fluffy romancy, kind of that kind of stuff.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Although, not exactly romance, but I—I I mean, like everybody, I go through my phases where I read a lot of YA or something. But after I do like a binge, like I think two years ago, I read one. John Green book and then I read like all of his books in a few months and that was a terrible idea because (laughs) now I'm never going to read him ever again you know like I totally overdosed on him and his particular writing style because when you read him so close together you just see the same themes happening over and over again and so that is something I need to not do I'd rather just find one or two you know gems that that I love okay but that aren't heavy that aren't heavy, but also are somehow connected to the real world.
0: Okay. We're, we're going to talk about this more with your okay. favorites, but that is, a,
1: that is a tall order. We'll see mm-hmm. what we can do.
0: Okay. So, Danielle, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you should read next. Let's
1: start with your favorites. What do you got? Like everybody on your show, I have to have some caveats here. Which is... <laughs> These are not all books I read this past year, but when I was thinking, okay, I want some recommendations in the vein of comfort reading, I just was like, okay, what are three books I've read that are like that for me? And the first one that came to my mind, which kind of surprised me, were, were the Call the Midwife series by Jennifer Worth. So I'm sure a lot of people have heard of the show, Call the Midwife, but it's actually based on these amazing books that um, Jennifer Worth wrote. And I love them because they are funny, they're interesting, it kind of has that old-timey, a little bit like James Harriet. like, I'm just a girl bumbling around and learning all these things, and it's so interesting, but it's also tempered by, like, a historical analysis of poverty and inequality in Britain as experienced through women who um, are pregnant and, and need these midwives to help them. So. It has kind of everything in there, and it's super interesting. There's three of the books. I think my favorite is the first one. But yeah, so definitely tied to realities, and I feel like I learned a lot, but it almost seemed like secondary, and it's so heartwarming, and I um, am kind of a theology nerd, and there's a lot of theology in there that you wouldn't necessarily expect that.
0: Interesting. Okay, so I'm wondering two things. One, do you know that... Jennifer Worth was specifically like the goal was to be like James Harriet for midwives. That was on purpose. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a thing.
1: No, yeah. I actually did not know that.
0: Okay, two, what do you think about James Harriet?
1: Okay, I love James Harriet, and I actually bought a bunch of his books on my Kindle this past year because I was like, I'm going to read him because it's so comforting. But then I actually didn't go back and reread it. And I think a part of me is scared too because I love those books so much when I was 11. Like they're just so comforting. And I'd reread them over and over again. I'm just really afraid I'm going to come back and find them lacking in some way. <laughs> so I do love him. And I'm, I'm scared to revisit because I don't want him to be tarnished.
0: Okay, because I can see those as being comfort reads. All right, what's book two?
1: Okay, book two is, again, sort of a series, but I at night I've been reading to my daughter um, the first two Harry Potter books, specifically the new illustrated versions. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen these.
0: Yes, well, only in the bookstore. We don't have it, but it's so pretty.
1: They are gorgeous, and I love rereading them with my daughter and looking at these pictures. It's just been such a wonderful experience. Yeah, I think it's been bonding for both of us too. So that's just been very comforting on multiple different levels. I don't know how long I'm going to have to wait or if we'll be able to afford to buy the whole series if they end up illustrating them all. But these first two are just, they're wonderful.
0: So Danielle, how is the illustrated version a different reading experience? Because I'm guessing you've done both, but Ramona probably hasn't. How is the reading experience difference with the version you have?
1: I think because, you know, she's six years old, it really helps keep her cemented in the story. Like I've tried reading Little House on the Prairie and, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia and like most six-year-olds, she gets a little bored, but this book, like every page, there's something to just kind of stare at. And the pictures are really involved and really beautiful. And for me, I have reread Harry Potter several times. And so it's just fun to imagine the characters in slightly different ways because they don't look like the characters from the movie or the illustrations from the original book. So it's helpful for me to reimagine. And I think it just helps capture my daughter's imagination.
0: So she's on the young side for Harry Potter. Do you think the illustrative version is a help in getting her hooked on the story?
1: We actually enjoyed the fact that there are illustrations because she is pretty sensitive. And so she looked at the pictures and decided what Pages she did not want to read or did not want us to read out loud to her. And so that was kind of interesting.
0: Okay, Danielle, what's book three?
1: Okay, book three is finally a piece of fiction that I can gladly recommend to everybody. It's a book I actually think about often. It's called Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple. And I don't really want to recount the plot because part of the pleasure in reading the book is just kind of wandering along with the correspondence in the book. Um, But I will just say it is so funny and so fast-paced, so interesting to read, but also definitely has some poignant moments in it and real heartache kind of lying underneath the surface. I think that the writer of this book... She's a comedian, and she's written for shows like Arrested Development. So it's very fast, very witty. But underneath it all, there is there is a real kind of core of emotion that I still like to be in my books.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you like the fast and witty?
1: I think for me, that seems like comfort, right? It's almost... You know, if we are going in a different direction, I think sometimes when I am on an airplane, I just want to read like Tina Fey's book or something, mm-hmm. you know, something, you know, that's going to make you laugh and not going to be too intense. And so I think maybe Where'd You Go, Bernadette, is sort of like the fiction equivalent. You know, you're not going to get bogged down in like intense descriptions of scenery or somebody's emotional inner life. Yeah, it's going to move quickly. And you're OK with
0: skipping the intense descriptions of somebody's inner life
1: as you know, looking towards comfort reading. Yes. Yes. Danielle,
0: what's a book that you are not so crazy about? This is my podcast. I still hate to use the word hate. Danielle, tell me what you hate. How's that?
1: (laughs) Well, I don't, I think that word is really strong too. (laughs) And as a highly sensitive person, I, I do have really strong reactions to books. So I am having a hard time narrowing it down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we can, yeah, we can do the whole genre of famous lady self-help books, which drive me crazy. Oh. Or I oh, was wait, thinking, wait. okay, you
0: could, but I was going to say, if you call it famous lady self-help, like there's no, there's no alternative necessary.
1: <laughs> what you well, I was, well, I was also thinking a book that I tried to read in the past year because everybody raves about it. And I just, oh my gosh, did not enjoy it at all was the first book in Elena Ferrante's is it a trilogy or it's like a series of four books? There's four. Yeah. So I read the first one and like, I actually read like the first chapter or two of the second one. And then I was like, no, no, I cannot do this anymore. It was just absolute drudgery for me. <laughs> so I think
0: actually, so you said everybody was raving about it, but I think a lot of people share your reaction.
1: Oh, well, that makes me feel a little less alone, but I just thought, oh yeah, if, I don't really feel like reading about terrible things happening over and over and over and over again to these characters. So, Well, as it down. goes
0: on, I can see how you would appreciate the series more as it went on because um, in book one, Lena is young, but as mm-hmm. she gets older, she gets more perspective over her as, and she gets older as the series goes on. So she gets more perspective over, Naples, the city she came in, in the poor neighborhood, and as her and her cohort, like all, either grow up and uh, move away to to cities with more money and more educational possibilities and a perhaps better life, based on what they are trying to achieve for themselves and their family. You know, it it depends whether or not that's better, depending on whose eyes you're looking through in the story. But uh, I could see those issues being really interesting to you and really coming to life on the page. However, for the very same reasons, I could see you really, really hating the book because you don't want to be reading about that when you're choosing a novel to read for enjoyment. And it's certainly not a comfort read, like not remotely.
1: No. And I also was a little confused at why everybody thought it was a great look at female friendship and maybe that does you know get explored more in the other books but I was like oh my girlfriends we do not treat each other like this
0: so maybe it's a great exploration of a female friendship there we go but no it's it's not the it's not what I would hope for for myself or my daughters or anyone
1: (laughs) right
0: all right so what are you reading now or what have you been reading lately if now doesn't apply
1: one of the books I'm reading right now is called The Beloved Community, How Faith Shapes Social Justice from the Civil Rights Movement to Today by Charles Marsh. And it's like a pretty in-depth historical analysis at yeah ways that um, the Christian faith has been involved in the civil rights movement. And I feel like I'm learning a ton. So it almost feels like I'm being back in school. I did try and read something like fun. And it's this book called The Royal We. Have you heard of this?
0: Yeah, but I didn't expect that title to come out of your mouth ever.
1: Right? How would it go? Well, I was watching the show The Crown on Netflix. Okay. (laughs) I was like, I remember there was this book that was sort of like fan fiction about Kate and William, and I read like half of it, and I'm just like, okay, that is exactly what this is, and I don't really want to finish it. It's not bad. It's just like not great either. How far did you get? I think I read half of it.
0: Okay. When you are in line at the grocery store, do you want to see what's on the cover of People Magazine and Us Weekly or no? Because if the answer is no, then you should just not even bother with that book. Right? I, I, I say- like that book. I thought it was a lot of fun, but I like to see what's on the cover of People Magazine and Us Weekly, even though I have never bought an issue in my entire life.
1: Yeah, I think like maybe 25% of the time I would look at okay. the cover of People.
0: So I would have guessed that you made it 25% of the way through the Royal V, but you made it halfway.
1: Well, probably more like 30 to 40%. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Okay.
0: Okay. What else? So that was your, that was your attempt at Just for Fun. Right. Anything else you're reading right now or lately?
1: I love magazines. So I get a lot of magazines and recently I've noticed about myself that my New Yorkers are just piling up and causing me anxiety because- I never get around to reading them. Um, But I love like Oprah's magazine, O Magazine. It's like one of my favorite things to read. So what does that say about me? I don't know.
0: I don't know. I've only read Oprah Magazine stuff online. I don't actually know. See, next time I'm at the grocery store, I don't usually go to a grocery store anymore with like stuff. They don't have those at Trader Joe's. But the next time I'm going to see what's in the table of contents of O Magazine.
1: Okay. I want to send you one because they have (laughs) amazing book recommendations. I'm not even kidding. That's one of the reasons I love it so much. They have a huge section on books and I learned so much about them all the time. Sounds good to me. I'll
0: check it out. See, somebody should have told me that years ago and I would have picked it up.
1: Who are your friends, Anne? I don't
0: know. I bet Oprah thinks I should already know that her magazine would have amazing book recommendations, but you know, I just didn't.
1: You're not living your best life yet, <laughs> you will. Now
0: I think that is on brand for O Magazine, <laughs> <laughs> but you will be soon by this now. Okay, so we hinted at this a little, but what do you want more of in your reading life?
1: Probably a little bit of a balance, so not just heavy stuff, and yeah, reading for pleasure. I think instead of, like a lot of people, I get stuck in the rut of you know watching an episode of something at night. And I'd like to read instead of watching a show every night. Hmm. It's like, you know,
0: we're halfway through season five of the West Wing. Okay.
1: Noted, (sighs) which is not doing great
0: things for my reading life. Well, that is very interesting. I am really wrestling with the highly sensitive person thing, but we, we are going to figure it out right after the break. Danielle, welcome back. Are you ready to talk about your books?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Okay, so I'm noticing that you are really drawn to the serious stuff, because that's what you're interested in. And yet, it's only good for your soul to a point. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. I think so. Okay, so we're looking for comfort reads, but they have to be what's comforting and like escapist and change of pace for you. Not necessarily for everybody. Okay, just for fun, before we talked, because I knew you were looking for comfort reads, I was browsing escapist fiction on Goodreads, books that were tagged escapist fiction. People have wildly different ideas of what qualifies as escapist. Oh, and lighthearted was another one. Escapist and lighthearted don't always mean what you think they might mean. Mm. I imagined, you know, lighthearted, like not heavy and not deep. And escapist means take me somewhere else that I actually would want to go but instead there were books like the glass castle and the kite runner like
1: wow if I that is not where I want
0: to escape no if I want to escape into a book
1: that traumatized me that the kite runner oh my gosh right right.
0: okay and we are definitely looking not to traumatize you Okay. okay so I don't think we can go further without talking about highly sensitive people, because you and I have talked about this individually, but we haven't Mm -hmm. we've hinted at it in this episode, but we haven't really unpacked it. Because as I'm thinking about books for you, and as you're thinking about your own reading life, that's definitely a big factor in what you want to read, especially what you want to read of your own initiative. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Do you want to explain a little bit about what that is and how that works in your reading life?
1: Well, I think you probably have a better definition. (laughs) But (laughs) For me, even just thinking like when you said the kite runner, I immediately think about one scene in that novel that just devastated me and I just can't get over it. And I was sobbing about it. And then all of a sudden, like the weight of the world is on my shoulders and it's really hard to move on and like, you know, feed my kids macaroni for lunch.
0: (laughs) So I think that's the scene where I put the book down on, on a balcony in the Florida Panhandle, like eight years ago, and and haven't picked it up back up since because I was oh like what you know oh. like it's just a little too real. Okay, so high sensitivity. It's a real thing. If you're interested in this listeners, you should read the book The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine Aron or The Highly Sensitive Child if you're a sensitive soul because she handles issues like abuse. And um, I don't want to I don't want to get into it very much on a show that people listen to with their kids. But if you are a sensitive soul, read The Highly Sensitive Child. She addresses the same issues from a toned down perspective. Great content and you don't have to be reading it for the purpose of understanding a highly sensitive child to get a lot out of it. If you've been mm-hmm. a kid, you can read that book. But it's a trait that affects 15 to 20% of the population across all species. Basically, it means your nervous system is just a little more finely tuned than the general population, which means things like um your more loud noises, bright lights, those kinds of things will um register more impactfully with you than they would for most people classic signs of a highly sensitive child are they don't like loud noises they don't like tube socks they don't like tags in their shirts and then there's emotional implications too like people who are highly sensitive feel things more deeply and that manifests in the way like they may not like to watch the network news or watch violent movies or read content, like we're talking about in the kite runner, because when you feel things at a greater level than those who have just a typical nervous system, it's just too much and you need a break. And especially mm-hmm. Danielle, I think if you're needing to read evicted, which is an amazing book, but like mm-hmm. gutting professionally, then you, that's not what you want to read.
1: For me, even I was reading evicted living in an apartment complex where people were getting evicted. So I, I'm a sensitive person and I on purpose, put myself into these life situations where I am sort of surrounded by really intense things happening. So I think there's a double reason for me to need some escapist literature.
0: (laughs) So we need we need to find novels about people living in castles and spending money far, far away. Okay, (laughs) kidding. I'm totally, totally being sarcastic. The first book I want to recommend is one I think we've talked before about on Twitter that you hadn't read at the time, and I'm wondering if you read now. And it's not exactly a comfort read the way you mean, but I think it's going to be a comfort read for you. And it is, tell me if you've heard of it, it's The Highly Intuitive Child. Let me read you the big, long subtitle. It is A Guide to Understanding and Parenting Unusually Sensitive and Empathic Children. It's by Catherine Crawford. Do you know this book?
1: I don't think, I think I read The Highly Sensitive Child, but not the intuitive one.
0: Okay. The Highly Intuitive Child. And even though the
1: subtitle says
0: it's a guide for understanding and parenting sensitive, empathic children, you have been a child. You're raising a child. And so many of the principles are the same. So highly sensitive people, that has to do with your nervous system. The Highly Intuitive Child, it's like um, high intuition is a subset of sensitivity but she talks about how um, some children and this remains true when they grow up how you walk into a room and you feel the vibe in the room instantly mm-hmm. like you register it in your body and if you're when you're a kid you don't even know that not everybody can do that um, you pick up on other people's emotions not just by seeing them but by experiencing them for yourself um, you know those traits are just really supercharged And Crawford talks about how this is a real thing. She talks about all the different ways this can appear. And she talks about how when properly harnessed, this trait can be a great gift. But before you understand what's going on and how to manage living life as basically a sponge for other people's emotions, Mm. how that can be really, really exhausting on a daily basis and then just a cumulative effect of feeling what the whole world is feeling just complete. It's too much. It's way too much. So this isn't going to be like, Oh, this is so delightful and escapist. But I think, if anyone is listening to this description and being like, Oh, like that's me or that's my kid or that's my spouse. I know someone like that. This is the kind of book that can make you go, Oh, that's what's going on. And she offers really practical suggestions on, I mean, for highly intuitive people, it's boundaries, 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 and with very specific examples of how to do it in relationships and with reading and with media and stuff like that. And I think I think, I think, well, maybe you'll think it's garbage, but I think it's possible <laughs> you'll get a lot out of it. And it's, short, I mean, it's probably 200, 250 pages. It's a small paperback. It wouldn't take a lot of time. I think it is definitely worth your while to give it a try. What do you think?
1: Wow. Yeah. I was like, wow, you're being Dr. Anne right now and, <laughs> you know, prescribing a book to help me. But, you know, I had a mentor a few years ago and he was told me, he said, do you realize how often you use the word overwhelmed to describe yourself? And that is a word that I still think about all the time, that I'm always overwhelmed by the cares of the world. And so I am I am very interested in how can I manage that while still being connected, you know, to the realities of my neighbors, um, many of whom are refugees and immigrants and experience, you know, suffering. But how can I manage it in order to be doing the work and living the life I want to live? for the rest of my days and not burning out in a ball of flame. So yeah, I think a practical book like that sounds really helpful for me right now.
0: Okay. So that's what I'm keeping in mind as we go forward in choosing books for you. I do want to throw out a couple titles that we're not going to dive into because I feel like I've talked about them on the podcast a lot too, a little, but I really, my favorite comfort read recommendation is Miss Pettigrew lives for a day by Winifred Watson. So fun, short, easy Cinderella story so much better than the movie um, oh. <clears throat> pick it up give it a try total escapist change of pace there's drug use if you're like oh I want to read that <laughs> with my 11 year old don't but um, yes. but it is set I mean it might have been possibly risque by like 1950 standards it is not by now it's a le- it's a light-hearted read okay. to my way of thinking not you know where you feel better about the world we live in afterwards instead of worse try that. I think anything by N.K. Jemisin, what she does with world building, theology, total escapist. I know you said that the uh, C.S. Lewis's space trilogy kind of bored you, but it's, mm-hmm. the, it's a more modern, faster paced, similar kind of genre that she does in several different series and standalones. I think that would be interesting to you. Okay, but for an actual pick, book two is Evensong by Gail Godwin. What do you know?
1: Nothing.
0: Okay, nothing. Okay, so it's important to know that this is a novel very much set in a certain time and place. And that is right on the cusp of the millennium when I mean, do you remember you were alive, then I was alive, then they don't talk about like, stashing food in your pantry for Y2k. But, but that's definitely... what we
1: did. Oh, my gosh. Well, we did. Yes, we
0: did. And if they did, In the novel, it would be very timely, even so. But they are preparing for the millennium with marches and stuff. But maybe I should back up and tell you. So this is a book about a female Episcopalian priest in a small town in North Carolina who's trying to figure out, wow, this is about to sound so cheesy, who's trying to figure out work and life and family and her place in the world. But I mean, I mean that earnestly and thoughtfully not in Mm -hmm. some like big this was before work-life balance was being tossed around as a phrase and it's not really about that so even though I use those words I don't want you to get that impression so she is wrestling through just finding her place in her community and her town and you see her doing her work as an Episcopal priest she has reached a sticky spot in her marriage she has a history with uh, she has a history in the community that is causing um, fictional complications that keep the plot moving for all the characters involved. We'll just leave it there. It's a novel I keep coming back to personally because it's really well-written. Godwin is very, she's very insightful about, uh, I haven't read it in a few years now, and I, I think it's seriously doubtful that I have gotten wiser than I think this book was, because, you know, sometimes you read something as a kid, you're like, oh, they are so smart. And then you read it 20 years later. And you're like, man, I didn't know much as a kid. I don't I don't think this book would have aged like that for me in just these past few years. It's really well written. It's very thoughtful. It's real life. But it's very gentle. It remains hopeful. And while there are definitely issues and people with serious troubles, and it is not I would never call this lighthearted. But it is hopeful. And it is far from devastating. How does something along those lines sound to you?
1: It sounds interesting and probably something I would never pick up at the library or a bookstore, but because you just explained it to me, then I would be interested.
0: Well, the cover's not bad. At least not on the edition I have. It's like a pretty smoky mountain vignette. There's like a crescent moon in the sky. I don't know.
1: Even oh, song. I don't know. See that I don't know. Even song sounds really boring. <laughs> I was just going to ask you does that sound
0: like theologically compelling like ooh, theology I'll pick that up or boring okay
1: sorry but now that you told me about it I would definitely pick it up and start reading
0: it's technically the second in a series but it doesn't okay. matter I mean you can never read the first one you can read them out of order truly doesn't matter but the first book is called <laughs> father melancholy's daughter do you think that's what yeah, title? I like that title. okay okay yeah well, if you want to read that one first, you could. But Even Song my favorite. <laughs> okay. So since we've given lots of caveats, I want to recommend a third book that might push your HSP buttons. But if it doesn't, you're going to like it. And I'm not sure. So do you know anything about Vanessa Diffenbaugh? No. Okay. Um, she's best known for The Language of Flowers, which is a book about a um, foster child who ages out of a bad situation and has to go make her own way in the world and puts together a new family. And I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, I think somewhere. Okay. So for you, I'm recommending a book that objectively I think is not quite as good as her first, but it's still solid. I'll still read whatever comes next. And, but I like the topic for you. This is, we never asked for wings. It came out, it might be going on two years now. Um, It's about an immigrant family in California split because of an issue of documentation. And Diffenbaugh said that in this novel, she wanted to explore the American dream, like serious air quotes, and um, how these different characters, um, we have a six-year-old, we have a 15-year-old, we have two adults, we have the older generation, are all... uh, living in a dangerous neighborhood you know serious injustice and they are trying to they're trying to find a way out but they know that if they just make one mistake like everything they've been working for for years could be gone and Mm. just navigating that tension um there's a major friendship between teenagers who kind of understand what's at stake but not completely which puts everybody in a lot of danger and i just i really like the idea for you of an immigrant story that's been fictionalized not to like advance a message, but because it's just a good story. How does that sound to you?
1: It sounds good, but also like it's going to make me cry. Well, see, <laughs> which is a good, that's a, a good possibility. Thing. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fine. I, I wish I knew of more fiction that was like that. So I'm I'm really grateful for that recommendation.
0: I think I would like to read this. Book. That's funny. Cause I feel like there've been so many good, immigrant stories this year. And of course, I can see those being good picks for you. But like, I've been putting mental slash marks through all of them because like, devastating.
1: devastating well, I know. There's, devastating. there's that balance to walk for sure.
0: And I think Diffenbaugh, like I saw the language of flowers marked as YA on some lists. And I don't think it is. And I don't think that was her intention. But I do think that We Never ask for Wings is gentler than mm. a, a lot of the other. Li- I mean, maybe it's being shelved somewhere as literary fiction but that wouldn't be my first pick for it. And it's it's a lot gentler than what you would find in that genre. Okay, bonus pick. I don't know if this is going to land or not. And we're going to keep the description short. But have you read anything by Jonas Jonasson?
1: Oh my gosh, I feel so not well read. No no no, 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 no 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 you person. shouldn't at all you shouldn't have all
0: so the only reason you weren't supposed to say yes i just don't want to go into detail about a book okay. you already know about okay he writes fiction and he has this super snarky tone that reminds me of where'd you go bernadette so oh. pick up anything by him if you want a serious change of pace from what you're reading now maybe the girl who saved the king of sweden is your first choice or the hundred year old man who climbed out the window and disappeared is a little bit darker but um yeah, the girl who saved the king of Sweden. It is in translation, and um, it's about how one person's can do something that sets in motion consequences that affect the whole. You know, like what's the butterfly effect?
1: Yeah. Okay. That's it. The butterfly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that sounds like it's a book about how like one what one person does can have far-reaching consequences. So it's. It's quirky. It's snarky. It's not evicted. So you don't have to tell me what you think. Just a bonus pick. The next time you're tempted to pick up the Royal Wee, I think this is more in your wheelhouse.
1: Okay, that's good to know. Okay.
0: Hey readers, here's an embarrassing Pete behind the scenes for you. So this is the point in my conversation with Danielle, where she asked me, aren't you going to ask me what I hate? And of course we started talking about that immediately. And then I forgot to ask her what she was going to actually read next. So I emailed her and she said, ah, I guess we just had too much to talk about. Here's her answer. Okay. Out of those three, I will definitely read The Highly Intuitive Child, and I'm going to pick up Evensong because I really do want to read more fiction. But I bet I would really love Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day. I will put all three on hold at the library and let you know what sticks. It was so fun talking books with Danielle. She said that she loves talking books too, and this was so much fun. And I can't wait to find out what she does read next. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Danielle today. Please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Danielle should read next. That page is at com slash 59, and it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Remember, our one-year podcast anniversary is coming up. Keep listening now. At the end of this episode, I'll share three books I love, one book I hate, and what I'm reading now, so you can tell me what I should read next. This is for a special anniversary episode coming next month. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at what should I read next. And don't forget to sign up for the 2017 Modern Mrs. Darcy Reading Challenge at modernmrsdarcy.com challenge. It's free and easy, and it's going to be a lot of fun this year. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Rainer Maria Rilke said, Ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Okay readers, here we go with my loves and hates. I think 50 of our first 60 guests have said that choosing is torture, but I really tried not to stress about this, especially because I've had the advantage of getting to talk about books every week on the podcast. So for right now, I've chosen books I'd love that I've read in the past six months or so, and are pretty representative of what I enjoy reading. Okay, book one is Gods in Alabama by Jocelyn Jackson, and I may have talked about this with Holland Saltzman back in the fall. I know we talked about some. Jocelyn Jackson. But this is contemporary fiction. It's set in the South, which is not a subgenre. I do a ton of reading in, um, but don't avoid, obviously. What I really loved about this is just, it's a good story. Well told. It wasn't what I expected. It's about a sensitive subject matter that I didn't really know going in. I didn't know very much about it at all going in, which made it a fun kind of surprise. But it is about a sensitive topic. And that was handled really well, like really smartly, but not with kick gloves. I did this on audio and I just flew through it, which is always a good sign. And it was just because it was a great story. I was hooked. I wanted to know what happened next. And I was not disappointed at the payoff in the end. Okay. Book two, a great reckoning by Louise Penny. And I'm choosing like book 13, or maybe it's just 12 in this series. This is the series that starts with still life, which I know I've recommended on the show to Lee Kramer and others have mentioned it as a favorite. Um, but it's, it's what I love. I'm totally hooked on this mystery series. And still life starts on the slow side, but it's still really good. And then in books two and three, the writing's a little stronger, but the plots are kind of weird. And then Penny completely hits her stride with book four. And I'm telling you that in case you think, what is this book she keeps talking about? I just want to fill you in on the series progression. So a great reckoning. It came out in August and I was waiting for it to come out for a long time. And there's always the risk that a book that you've been waiting for forever just can't live up to that kind of expectation. But this one totally did. The reason I like Penny is because the writing really serves the story, but it's not show-offy. The mysteries are generally solid, but they're really just an excuse to explore the cast of really interesting and well-developed characters she has in a really cool setting that isn't like the kind of settings I usually find in my fiction. Okay, my third favorite I chose on purpose and nonfiction because I love finding out new and weird stuff and that's why I read nonfiction. It is Deep Work by Cal Newport. The subtitle is Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World and I chose it because I like books that give a peek behind the curtain or a new perspective or show me a side of things I didn't previously anticipate or understand or even had any idea I would find interesting. It's important to know with this one that I am not a big fan of the productivity genre in general. I feel like those books just keep getting cranked out, and so often they don't say anything new. But this book truly showed me things I didn't know before, and it inspired me to act on them, and it did that through a reading experience that was way more enjoyable than I expected given the rather, you know, serious, work-like kind of subject matter. But I honestly read this at the beach and really, truly enjoyed it. Okay, the book I hate. Honestly, I hate a lot of books and I abandon a lot of books. So that part is easy. But I, I hate talking about the books I hate, at least on the podcast. We can have coffee sometime and I won't be quite as reserved. But for now, I wanted to be careful to choose a book that wasn't a bad book. It just wasn't for me. The one I chose is Love, Loss, and What We Ate by Padma Lakshmi. And again, it's not a bad book. People like this book. And not just people I know. I looked on Amazon and Goodreads and it has 3.9 cumulative reviews view on Amazon and 3.5 on Goodreads. But it is not the book for me. And I've been thinking a lot about why because I've read a lot of memoirs lately that have a very similar feel to this one. And I haven't liked any of them, even though plenty of people do. So in thinking a lot about the common thread in these memoirs that have been generally well received, but clearly aren't to my taste, is they all tell an extremely straightforward story about what went wrong and the author's professional life, or more often their love life, sometimes both. They've all been written fairly recently, after the events that have happened, so not a ton of long range perspective. They've been written by people who aren't writers. And sometimes they've been written with professional co-writers. And the point of each memoir has been to tell what happened because the person had gone through an interesting experience or they were somebody that the public eye was on. I'm learning that when it comes to memoir, I enjoy it more if the writer can step back and give me the wide angle lens version of why the events they're writing about were significant enough to write about and what meaning they have. Okay, what I'm reading now Garden of Lamentations I just started It's the new novel In Deborah Crombie's Duncan Kincaid And Gemma James series Which I'm really enjoying And I do like this series a lot And I recommend it For Louise Penny fans Who are all caught up And need something To tide them over I'm reading Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides because I've been meaning to forever and ever. And I'm listening to Endurance, Shackleton's Incredible Voyage by Alfred Lansing because the Babysitter's Club club guys convinced me it was time to revisit it. Okay, readers, those are my books. What should I read next? Here's how to share your recommendation. Option one, Go to com slash talk to me and put dashes between those words, talk dash to dash me and record your short message there. Tell me what I should read and why. Option two, email Brenna, that's B-R-E-N-N-A, at modernmrsdarcy.com and tell her in an email message what I should read and why. That's Brenna and not me because I'm not going to hear your suggestions until we record this special episode. So you'll get to hear what I really think, unfiltered and with no advance notice. This is gonna be fun. I can't wait to hear your recommendations and share them with you in January. Thanks for being a part of it. Till next time.